So growing up, I had zero exposure to sexual education, like zero. And it's not something that was ever discussed at home. And you grow up in a culture uh, in the Middle East where growing up, it's like, it's bad, it's slutty, you know, you need to be a virgin and you need to save your virginity for your husband. And, you know, like it's promiscuous, you shouldn't do that, it's wrong. And like, that's all you're told about sex. And then what happens is you get married and then literally within like the second that you sign that marriage contract, you're expected to be a porn star in the bedroom and you're supposed to know what to do and to please him and to please yourself and to just like, you know, never say no and be erotic and be exotic. And it just doesn't work out that way. It's like, we're confusing women and we're confusing people in general. Hi, this is the Ignoramus's Guide to Surviving Humanity. I'm Ileana Chan with my co-host. Anne Montavon. And our very special guest, Yasmin Sharan. I probably said your name wrong. Did I say your name oh, wrong? I said it perfect. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> the terror you feel, like I feel, I don't know why. Um, okay. And Yasmin is a, a sex coach, a life coach, a wellness coach, um, an an aviation engineer, did you say? <laughs> I'm an industrial engineer. I work in aviation, but yeah. <laughs> and an amazing painter. And oh, an amazing <laughs> painter. The painting behind her is actually hers. Um, and we're, we're very impressed with that. Yes. So, um, and she's also born in the Gulf and Palestinian, right? Yes. Right. Yes. So he, we, we've got her on today because... On our last episode, on one of our episodes with uh, Dr. Coop, Dr. Tina Cooper-Smith, we sort of touched upon like women's health and sexuality. And then we realized we touched on sex like maybe for one minute and it just wasn't enough to get into that. So I was thinking about, well, you know, we're sort of bombarded by like um sexuality or sex or objectification in the West. I mean, I think, I feel like everyone's familiar with that, but what we're not as familiar with maybe is sex and pleasure and sexuality in the Middle East. So that's why Yasmin's here to give us a little insight into both, um, into everything really. So welcome. Having me, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here and super excited about our talk today. Thank you so, so much for coming. Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, I'm curious on how you got into the sex coaching and everything. Okay. So it actually started with life coaching in general, and this was five years ago. So um, I, as Ileana mentioned, I grew up in the Middle East. And in the Middle East, uh, the, we're very communal as a society. And there is like, I mean, this is universal, obviously, you know, you're born, there's hand-me-down beliefs, expectations of what you should be like in life. And I know that this is a universal issue, but it's probably a little bit more emphasized in the Middle East because of the nature of our culture and how communal we are, which has some great perks as well. So growing up, um, I did everything by the book, you know, I went to school, had to get like a certain degree, get the job, get married, do like everything, you know, as Per society's expectations and I had a I would call it a midlife crisis uh, by the time I was 30 and that's when I realized that I don't even know myself and here I am making this these big decisions in life and I didn't really understand myself and that's when my journey into coaching started and I started to learn 
so much about myself and I realized how clueless I was about what I wanted in life and the type of life, my purpose, my values, all of these, you know, simple things that most people take for granted. So on that journey, I learned so much and it was such an empowering process. And then I realized that one of the biggest aspects that goes ignored throughout most of our lives is our sexuality. And like Eliana mentioned, like, yeah, it's, it's a problem universally, but I think it's more of a problem in the Middle East because it's like, there's a lot of shame that comes with sex, especially for a female. So growing up, I had zero exposure to sexual education, like zero. And it's not something that was ever discussed at home. And you grow up in a culture uh, in the Middle East where growing up, it's like, it's bad, it's slutty, you know, you need to be a virgin and you need to save your virginity for your husband. And, you know, like it's promiscuous, you shouldn't do that, it's wrong. And like, that's all you're told about sex. And then what happens is you get married and then literally within like the second that you sign that marriage contract, you're expected to be a porn star in the bedroom and you're supposed to know what to do and to please him and to please yourself and to just like, you know, never say no and be erotic and be exotic. And it just doesn't work out that way. It's like, we're confusing women and we're confusing people in general. And, um, and what you were saying, Eliana, earlier about like in the West, uh, the sexuality is spoken about and yet it's objectifying for women, right? Like all, most pornography is, focused on male pleasure. Sex education in school is about, you know, prevention of STIs and pregnancy, uh, but there's nothing about pleasure. So there, like in the West, it's like your sexuality is the man's sexuality. So like, yes, you're, it's okay for you to have sex. It's okay for you to like show skin, but it's not yours. And in the Middle East, I feel like it's two sides of the same coin. Sexuality is not ours. So instead, instead of like, you know, showing it off and we're told to cover it up, hide it. So in both scenarios, we use the, uh, like sexuality is not ours. When I say ours, I mean like for women, right? It's, it's not ours. So yeah, so that's basically how I got into it. And I realized that I struggled with my sexuality and shame and like, you know, what's right, what's pleasurable, what's, you know, what to do. And, you know, and I'm like, that shouldn't be the case for other generations. And it's time that we talk about it openly so that we can start to get rid of the shame that's associated with it. So that's basically my mission is to help people live better lives, to design their own life, to understand their pleasure and to own it. And yeah, that's pretty much why I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> How do you approach your clients with something that is so taboo that's never talked about? Yeah, that's a very tricky thing. And I think the fact that I am Arab, that I'm Muslim, that I was born there, I've gone through what they're going through. So I relate. So I understand the nuances of our culture. Like I'm not go, I'm not gonna discuss certain things from the get-go because, you know, like I need to ease into it because I was there once, right? So I totally relate. So the way I would approach it is I usually like I like to, to, to be fact-based, right? Like I'm not here to promote, you know, what to do with your sexuality, whether you want to, you know, sleep around with a hundred people or save it for marriage. I'm fine with that. As long as you understand your own erotic wiring, how to access pleasure so that whatever choices you make in the future, you're making them from a conscious place as opposed to just, you know, doing what 
the media tells you to do because that's pretty much our source of information when it comes to sexuality and pleasure it's like tv friends and like you know it's not it's not really uh, uh education based so the way i approach it is i try to be as factual as possible you know about certain things and i am and i the obviously confidentiality that's like our like the biggest uh pillar of any coaching relationship so when we start we basically set a container a safe container where we discuss what is okay and what is not okay what we can talk about what we can't talk about and of course like reassuring my clients that this is a safe space and what it, uh, happens between us stays between us no matter what and usually once that established and once there is a rapport and a relationship that's built then it becomes easy to talk about anything and everything because at the end of the day we are all erotic beings right like it's part of our nature and most adults wherever you are in the world will experience you know some form of sex at some point in their lives so it's not really that different regard regardless of you know the culture or the background that you come from what is your client base like what uh, i'm interested on in the people that you're you're mainly targeting for the um, okay so i my main target is the middle east and mainly because there's very limited resources there. Uh, there's not a lot of people that talk, talk, talk about sexuality and not a lot of females that talk about it. There's a, a few, but very, very, very limited because it is very taboo. And the reason, I mean, I'm open to women in general, but the reason I target the Middle East in particular is because that was my personal experience and it's relatable for me personally. So when ever like you know something that's cultural specific comes up it's like not only do I know it but I've experienced it firsthand so that's basically my target uh, audience it's Middle Eastern women is it word of mouth or I'm how do you how do you reach ah that's a good women. one because I was telling Eliana yeah. how frustrated I was um so it has been word of mouth uh, so it's, uh, but now I want to get to a bigger base because I don't want it to be like contained. I want to, to like be normalized and I want people to talk about it. So I just started my Instagram journey uh, a few months ago. And um, what is the Instagram uh, handle? Tap in with Yaz, T-A-P-I-N with Yaz, Y-A-Z. Great happened with yes so uh i just started promoting it on instagram and uh so i was trying to uh, do a promotion the other day and it got rejected because and the message i got was if your ad contains or discusses sexuality in any form it needs to be limited to um pregnancy prevention or like or sexual health and it does not it cannot focus on pleasure and mind you, the post was just describing what sexuality coaching is. I didn't even get into pleasure. I, I, like, obviously, the benefits of sexuality coaching is pleasure, but like, there's no mention of like, you know, techniques or positions or <laughs> anything, you know, of that sort. And it was, I was shocked. But I did appeal it, and it went through this morning. Oh, you I did! <gasps> Congratulations! Thanks. That's amazing. I'm, like, I'm not having this. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> okay, cool. I should talk to you about that because I was thinking, how do we promote this um, interview covertly? How do we do it? In a way? Yeah, I, I really yeah. don't know, but we need to like, we can't take no for an answer is what, what like, that's the approach that I'm taking. It's like, okay, there's has to be a, a workaround because this is not right. Because you go on Instagram and you see a lot of content 
that is not necessarily, you know, like uh, very conservative. Like you see women twerking in songs and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not shaming people who do that. It's, it's phenomenal. But then, you know, why can't I talk about sexual pleasure? And like people yeah. who are like promoting diet pills that promise you to lose, you know, 50 pounds in like three weeks. How is that like, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So I guess there's ways around this. I'm not sure if you want to cut this part out. Because <laughs> <laughs> no. no. in a way, isn't it sexual health? It's also mental health, right? Exactly. And that's exactly it. So when you mentioned about wellness, so I have a free, like in coaching in general, because we're multidimensional human beings, you can't target one area and forget about the rest of your life. So I've developed this framework for wellness, and I call it the tapped in being, which focuses on five aspects of your being. So one of them is your physical being. So you know how well you take care of your physical being. So that's not just diet and exercise, but the way you view your body, how happy you are, how you accept the your curves, your perfect imperfections, you know, cellulite, stretch marks, and everything that comes along with it. So that's like the physical aspect of your being. And then there is the emotional aspect of your being, which is basically how comfortable you are with the downs. Uh, as opposed to the ups, you know, like embracing the sadness as much as we celebrate the joy. It's, it's basically being okay with the ebb and flow of life and not judging one as good and the other as bad. It's just how it is like, you know, ebb and flow. It's how we are. So that's the emotional being. And then the third aspect is the, uh, um, the mind. So basically with the mind, it's your growth. Uh, your growth mindset and wanting to learn more about yourself, your values, your purpose in life, you know, why, what it is that you want to do with your life and the thoughts that go into your head, your limiting beliefs, overcoming those and uh, sticking to more empowering beliefs about yourself and what you can achieve. And then the fourth one is your sexual being, you know, uh, we are sexual erotic beings and there is nothing wrong with that. And we need to embrace that. So as part of our sexuality, we need to understand how we're wired, the way we understand how, you know, some people are sensitive, some people are introverts, some people are extroverts in sex. Uh, some people like, you know, the kinks, some people like, you know, extended for whatever it is, like just understand yourself as so that you can get to more pleasure in life because we are blessed with organs that are purely designed for our pleasure. So why not learn how to use them, you know? Like the clitoris, the only purpose of the clitoris is pleasure. That's it. So that's a huge part of who we are. It's our bodies, it's our sexuality. So and understanding also the obstacles that get in the way. So one of like, so a lot of people sometimes focus on the turn-ons, you know, what do I need to do to, you know, be more sexy, the lingerie I need to wear. To wear. And then they forget that, there's a lot of things that they need to get rid of in order to be in, to, to enjoy these things, the turn-ons, which is like the obstacles, the, the shame, the trauma, your thoughts about sexuality. And especially if you're not conforming to the environment you're in, that's huge. Like in the Middle East, uh, like if, if, um, you, if you're part of the LGBTQ uh, population, it's a struggle because everything around you is telling you that it's not okay. So it's just, you know, these things, overcoming that and being able to embrace the fact that you're wired the way that you are, because we are wired the way that we are, right? Like, it's just who we are. And then finally, it's the spiritual being. It's connecting to a higher purpose. It's knowing that the, the, the oneness, that we're all connected somehow. It's just understanding that life is more than 
you and what you're going through. It's there's a whole world out there and there's a higher purpose and it's connecting to that. And it does, and, and like some people practice spirituality through religion, other people, you know, don't. So it's just having that connection to something that's higher than your limited self. So that's basically my framework for wellness is that you can't ignore like those big five pillars. And then, you know, you can't just do really well in three and completely ignore two because ultimately you need to be embracing all the aspects of it. I have some ignorant questions because um, I've never been to the Middle East. Are there, are there strip clubs? Are there, what, what kind of things do they have over there for, for eroticism, for pleasure that's so, open to the public? Okay, so uh, legally, I'm not aware of strip clubs, but I'm sure they do happen, but it's not legal. So okay. it's all undercover. So a lot of like Middle Easterners are just as sexual as any other nation. We're all the same, right? But it's hush hush. That's the only difference when it comes to the sexuality. It's not publicly, like it's not, okay. So like, um, I don't think prostit prostitution is not legal in any Arabic country, as far as I know. I'm so, uh, and like strip clubs are not uh, legal in any other country I know. But uh, so it's everything is hush hush. I mean, everyone has access to the internet now. People travel to, you know, for sex tourism. So, uh, but that's stuff that I don't like, it's not legal in the Middle East. So, if it does exist, it's under the table. And then, if somebody is going to go to a porn site, that might be blocked? Yes. So, it okay. is blocked in certain countries, but VPN people know <laughs> every single person in the Middle East probably has a VPN <laughs> and they get access. But then again, because the VPN is not just used for sex sites, because there's a lot of restrictions on other websites as well, like for political purposes and, you know, even for international calls for some, some, some countries, it's not allowed to use WhatsApp calling because it's not monitored. So mm -hmm. every person has VPN and they all have access to porn. With they, if, if somebody was found out, would they be arrested? For uh, watching porn? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I mean, how are they going to find out? I mean, if you're publicly, you know, projecting it on the walls, then you're asked, like, then probably. But I don't, I haven't heard of cases of people being arrested for um, uh, watching pornography. But one of the common scams that a lot of people in the Middle East end up with is, you know, like, um, they go online, and then they meet someone with their videos, and then they record them. And then they're like, oh, if you don't pay me, I will leak the video or publish it on your... So that's a very oh, wow. scam that a lot of men uh, have to deal with because in our society it's so taboo it's basically like it could be like the end of your life if you know such a video leaked because it's like your reputation your you know like the way you fit into society it's a huge deal and that's why but not like executed just no 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 it's more of like the social uh, yeah <laughs> no i mean if you are like having sex in public or if you are doing something publicly of course you will you know get arrested for that but like you would in the West, I, I'm sure like the, the tolerance is obviously different in the West versus the East, but with the online use of pornography and uh, it's more like hush hush. And people yeah, but you can still get arrested if you're gay. 
right? If you're um, yes, yes. So in a lot of countries, uh, being uh, gay is a crime, unfortunately. Uh, so, but and a lot of times they'll just ignore it. But if they want to pick on you, they can arrest you for being gay. And there has been a lot of cases. It's really, really sad where people just get arrested and they get tortured and just for being gay. I mean, I kind of I feel that in Malaysia, there's sort of um, there's just such a huge pressure to be a certain way. So um, even in scenarios where you're not actually that doesn't actually have to do with sex. There yeah. is this sort of, do you know what I mean? Yeah, conformity. And that's because we're communal, right? So fitting in is a huge part of our culture. So yeah, of course you're gonna be picked on for being different. And whether different is, you know, your sexual preferences, like, you know, if like, let's say you're gay, then you're, you're different. Or if, you know, you're too promiscuous, uh-uh, you know, that's not, that doesn't fit our uh, standard of, you know what it's what it should be like what a girl should be or if you dress a certain way or if you don't care about certain things or like your religious views your political views yeah of course conformity is one of our biggest hurdles and like in in the middle east like there is a huge emphasis on having to fit in and that's like you have to be a certain way and that's why like i struggled for like a big part of my life with my authenticity and I know my struggles are nothing compared to people who have real struggles, like like I said, like the LGBTQ community. They like that's a a real problem to have in the Middle East. So I can't even like I don't even I can't even explain how hard it must be because I mean I struggled because you know that lifestyle is not for me. And like imagine if you know I had to struggle on so many different other layers. But yeah, it's uh, conforming is a huge, huge, huge part of, uh, of our, our culture, but it's changing now. I like, I, I don't know how fast it's going to be until, you know, but it is getting better. I hope at least that's like my optimistic vision. So you just re- sort of recently moved to um, Toronto. Yes. So I used to live here. I went to school here uh, 10 years ago and uh, I decided to move back uh, a year and a half ago. What are the big changes, the big differences that you found? Even before I moved here, like I said, by the time I was 30, I went through a midlife crisis. So I started to be more in touch with what I stood for and like, you know, my values. And and that's like part of the reason why I'm here. So I feel like it's like the journey has happened and not because of the move. The move was the result of the journey as opposed to the other way around. So I, I wouldn't say now that I'm in Canada, I feel this difference. It's I became different and that's why I'm here. Kind of thing. All right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. What would it be like to uh, go back to the Middle East and then try doing the coaching there? What would you would like? Actually, like? I would. I, I would love to do that, and that's my ultimate goal. I'm still connected to the Middle East, and I want to always have ties with the Middle East. Like my ultimate dream is to spend my winters in the Middle East and my summers in Canada. That's just like my dream. And <laughs> and the the tar- like the market that I'm targeting is the Middle East because it, it's needed there. So that's actually my vision for the future is to uh, have, like, I want to continue to do sexuality coaching in the Middle East and uh, to basically fight for incorporating sexual education in schools. That's like mm-hmm. long, eventually that's where I want to get to because 
I think we need to change the structures that the society is built on in order for like the future generations to avoid some of the hurdles that we had to go through. How would you go about changing that? Well, that is, I really don't know. <laughs> I, I wish I knew the answer right now, but the truth is I don't. The way I would approach it is basically to promote sexual coaching or to be more open about that. And, and it's okay. Like there is, it's, I, it's not like I've been, you know, threatened or, you know, like I haven't, like it's been so far, it's been really, really great. And my family and close friends, they're very supportive and they encourage this career path. And I've been getting like really, so far the feedback has been phenomenal. And because it's approached in like a fact, like it's not in your face. And that's basically what I wanna make sure that I continue because it's like, you, you can't, like you have to build it up. And yeah, eventually uh, the way you would do it is hopefully by the more and more people are aware of the importance of this element of our lives, then, you know, we can start to approach, uh, you know, like um, uh, educational institutions, governments, and, and see, like, I'm sure other people have tried. I mean, it, it's, there has been work in that field, it, but I don't know the actual steps, but uh, when I get there, I'll figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, healthy yeah. exposure, it sounds like. Yeah, I think the exposure helps for sure. It's because it's a community is based on uh, a bunch of individuals. So if the individuals start to understand the importance of something, we can change the society as a whole, I believe. So I guess it starts like I'm starting small with the individuals and then hopefully we'll figure out a way to, to get to the structures that are in place. How did you actually become a sex coach? I mean, what were the steps towards that? Okay, so um, I did my coaching through CTI. So I became a life coach. I used to do life and professional coaching. And then I've always been interested in, in like sexuality because like it's, I like growth and I like learning new things. And that is an area I knew I didn't know much about. Um, and uh, with my group of friends, they grew up in the same environment. So it's like the blind leading the blind. So I couldn't really get answers anywhere. <laughs> so I basically, I was still in Dubai when I um, um, decided to pursue it. Uh, I uh, found Jaya online. So I attended Date with Destiny, Tony Robbins event. And through uh, like uh, at the event, I met people who were part of his um call it like the uh, premium membership program where they do like um, couples uh, retreats and uh, that's an area also that I like wanted to learn more about because I personally sucked at <laughs> not like uh, my track record in relationships has not been the best so I wanted to learn more about that and sexuality is a big part of that and I was told that Jaya did uh, was the sexual expert for one of uh, the retreats that Tony Robbins had so I'm like who is this Jaya person and then I looked her up and I loved what I saw. And I'm like, I need to learn from her because what I loved about her um, methodology is that it's pleasure focused and we need pleasure focused education. Like I, I don't need to learn more about the anatomy and, you know, where the labia is versus the clitoris, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, we great. I want to learn like the practical aspect. So I guess it's like, yeah, the, ap the application of this knowledge. And that's exactly what the erotic uh, blueprint uh, framework focuses on. It's like, it's tools that you can use that uh, an average Joe or Jane can use 
on her like like these are tools that you can use it's not theory it's not theoretical it's not too scientific it's easy and yeah and I got into that and I signed up and then I started the program and I loved it so the erotic blueprints that's Jaya's um program yeah yeah can you explain a little bit about it yeah sure so basically uh the erotic blueprints it's like have you heard of the five love languages yes yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's similar to that, but think of it as five sex languages. So the way we experience pleasure and the way we're wired for pleasure is differently, right? So there is the five types or like the archetypes. Think of them as archetypes of pleasure. And if you fall under one category, then you're more likely to want to be turned on in a certain way. And you're more likely going to be turned off by a set of things. So understanding, like it's like the love languages. Uh, this is your erotic wiring. This is what usually works for someone in this blueprint. And this is what usually doesn't. And there is like five of them. So once you understand it, and when you're coupled up with someone else, or even on your own, you'll know, you'll start to understand. It's like, oh my God, I'm not a weirdo. This is like, <laughs> it's a thing, you know? So uh, do you want me to go over the types? Or Yeah, sure. Okay. So the first one is the energetic. So energetics, they need a lot of space. There's a lot of anticipation. Uh, You can't really go straight to, you know, penetration or like the genitals. There's got to be a lot of warming up to do. There's there needs to be closeness, connection. So the things that turn the energetics off is like someone who goes to the genitals too fast or someone that doesn't, you know, embrace the connection or like get to know them and and they're like great lovers because they're super sensitive and intuitive so that they can pick up on things and they can experience pleasure without even being touched in their erogenous zones so that's the energetic the sensuals they basically their sensations are on steroids so they care about everything so they focus on the environment the smell the sound the, the cleanliness of the space and and they experience pleasure throughout their body they love being touched massaged you know like and and also like foreplay is is important for the sex, the sensuals and they need to relax and be in their bodies before they can open up and experience and like like um experience pleasure with with uh, sex and the one of the uh, things that gets in the way for sensuals is that they're stuck in their head so they like they can get stuck in their head so they can be thinking about their chores the next day or whether or not you know he can feel the patch on my leg that I forgot to shave or you know things like that get in the way of pleasure so when you're thinking about the patch of hair on your left leg you're not really going to be in your body to enjoy the pleasure so that's the sensual and then the sexual which is mainstream media everything that we're told about sexuality is the sexual so it's like you know how to get to a sexual blueprints uh nudity uh lingerie uh anal uh oral oh no sorry not necessarily anal because that can be (laughs) some people like oral like all of the things that focus on you know your erotic and erogenous zones and going from zero to a hundred. So like, you know, in like movies or in porn, it's like people are washing the dishes two seconds later, they're like going at it. That's (laughs) (laughs) And then um, there is the kink. So kinky people are turned on by what's taboo. So everything that is, but that could be different, right? So for someone, something like 
outside of the missionary position could be taboo. And for someone else, an orgy is not necessarily taboo. So it depends if you're turned on because you think this is weird, then you're kinky. It's not about, because initially, uh, like I thought that, oh, kinky, you need to like to be whipped and, you know, chains. And I'm like, there's so much more to kink. And then there is obviously the physical aspect of kink and the psychological aspect of kink. So physical is the sensations. They need to feel like deep sensations, like the whipping, the nails and you know like uh, being tied up rope play and all of that whereas the psychological aspects it's more of like the power play submission dominance and like the polarity and like good versus bad and, and the mind game and then finally shapeshifter shapeshifter is actually the hardest one to explain and to understand because they're everything and they get turned on by by all the blueprints but also they could have all of the limitations of or not the limitations the shadows of the other blueprints as well and shapeshifters like everything and it's hard um, to understand preferences because one day they could be totally kinky the next day they're energetic right so like what you enjoy today is not necessarily the same as tomorrow and uh they tend to have a problem with uh, partners who are not shaped to chifters because they're told that they're too much and they think that their sexuality is just a, a, a bit too much for anyone to handle so yeah that's pretty much the uh, framework and like the five sex languages or erotic so that's kind of handy because it helps you it's almost like a map therefore when you're using if you use this framework for when you work with a client to discover their own sexuality, they kind of have this map to sort of get exactly. to where they need to get. And there's also tools on how to communicate your needs to a partner based on their blueprint, right? Like, and like dirty talk, because the way you dirty talk to energetic is going to be completely different than the way you dirty talk to a, a sexual, for example. And when we watch movies, it's always the same. Oh, you dirty little slut or whatever, you know, it's like that. It's always the same phrases. And it's like, yeah, that might work in one scenario for one type of person, but it could completely turn someone else off, right? Or like, um, so it's just, um, uh, yeah, it's understanding your, like having a map and understanding turns on, turns off and, and how to get to it and how to communicate with your partner and how to break through and overcome the, the shame and the trauma or like the obstacles that have that you've picked up along the way because I mean chances are if you're an adult you've already picked up your fair share of like shame and hand-me-down beliefs that are not serving you when it comes to your sexuality and other aspects of your life but especially with your sexuality and they linger right and sometimes we don't pay attention to them and we don't know that they're there so first step is awareness find out what it is that's in there that's you think is being ignored but it's like running your subconscious uh, programming and then overcome that and like break it down if it's limiting beliefs overcome them and understand like what it is that you want to replace them with yeah I feel like this is helpful because if there's so much shame and silence around a subject especially something like sexuality it just really makes me think of um just the obstacles towards consent like how do you even know you whether you're consenting to someone, if you can never talk about it, you know? Exactly, exactly. And I think it's also great practice. Like once you learn consent and once you're comfortable talking about what you want in the bedroom, it changes your life. People don't understand that how you are in the bedroom affects how you are in the boardroom. 
right? Like when you are comfortable enough and you're empowered to say something that is so sensitive, like nothing can be as sensitive as sexuality, right? Like sometimes it could be really, really sensitive. So if you're able to learn how to speak and how to say, to define your no-nos and your yeses and to get what you want, that reflects on other aspects of your life. I really think that sexuality coaching or learning about your sexuality, it should be a module in any confidence uh, program out there or like anything for your overall wellness because we are linked. Once you are well-versed in one area you and, and you, you pick up those skills, you can apply them to different areas of your life, right? Like consent. Consent is not just in the bedroom. Consent is everywhere in life. Setting boundaries is not just limited to what you're okay with and not okay with in the bedroom. It's boundaries with everything in life. It's your friends, your partner, your career, your like whatever it is. So I do think that it's a huge part that is really important and often ignored. Everything you're talking about is something that exists in in Western countries. It's not like it doesn't. You know, consent is obviously a huge issue as well. Yes. And that's West. the funny part, because I remember I was, I had a lot of my insecurities when I started the program because I was the only Middle Eastern Muslim pe- person that I knew of at least, uh, like, and we were like uh, uh, almost a hundred, right? Or like, I can't remember the number. So I felt really uncomfortable because I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be such a prude. I'm not going to know anything because, you know, I come from the Middle East where like I had zero exposure to sex education. And like here they live in societies that are more liberated. And that was my view initially. But then when I started to like get to know and talk about this opening, I realized I'm like, actually, it's all the same. We're all ignorant when it comes to this topic. And Yes, they're more open about it, but not necessarily in the healthy manner, right? And that's when I realized that it is a universal problem. And I think maybe it's the patriarchy because that's another thing that we all have in common, right? Like, and I'm like, yeah, it's not the culture. It's definitely like, I mean, there is obviously additional constraints when it comes to culture, like, you know, the freedom of expression of, you know, owning your sexuality, same-sex marriages, that doesn't exist there. So of course there is more um, constraints in the Middle East. But I was fooled by how open the West was. I really thought like, ah, you know, the West is so open with sexuality. (laughs) Like women, they're on it. And then I'm like, actually, no, they don't. (laughs) No, it's, they don't. It's because the, the sexuality that people are taught here, here as in in the West is based on pregnancy prevention. STIs. So think about this. Imagine if you were in school and you went to your PE class. Uh, I don't know if it's called PE here, like physical education, like gym. Yeah. And imagine if your first class, today we're talking about knee injuries. This is what could happen <laughs> if you twist your ankle while you run, you know? And, and, and they don't mention all of the health benefits of running and why sports are good for you. And all they talk about is all of the things that could go wrong. You could twist an ankle, you could hurt your knee, you could bust your, your back and all of that. But this is exactly what they're doing with sex. Oh, you can get gonorrhea, HIV. It's like, yes, you could, but you also get oxytocin. You get feel good hormones. You feel good about yourself. You talk about like, you know, bonding with your partner, intimacy, all of the things that we all need as human beings. It's like, I'm all for educating people on STIs and the potential risks of, uh, of sex, a thousand percent, but you can't just do that and forget about all of the benefits and why it's important to learn how to become intimate. Because 
at the end of the day, we're all going to end up, you know, most of us are coupled up, right? If you can't understand your own sexuality, how are you going to be able to understand someone else's? And how are you going to come together as a unit and, you know, have that connection and deep intimacy it just does not make sense. And that's when I'm like, oh, the whole world is fucked up when it comes to sexuality. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> one of my aha moments. <laughs> Well, does that resonate with you, Anne? Because you, I guess, of the three of us, your upbringing would be the most West, <laughs> West <laughs> American. Yeah, but uh, with my my parents are very conservative and Roman Catholicism, and so I I was only allowed to hold hands with a guy in high school. I wasn't allowed to kiss them. I couldn't start dating until I was at least 16. So I would do everything behind my parents' back. I was still a good, very good girl, but I also had so much shame until recently. And yeah, there was no, as it was, it was like, this is how, this is how you put on a condom and these are all the things that it's a scare tactic. These are all the things that can go wrong and you're going to get pregnant and it's going to destroy your whole life. So don't have sex. Don't hold hands. Don't kiss because that will lead to the, that. And don't do that before you're married. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely had all of those. Um, I share the, the similar thing yeah. of yeah. repression. and yeah there's such I mean it is so it's so interesting because there is so much emphasis in the west about sexuality still so you're bombarded by that right um from the media etc but at home I mean you know you kind of have the opposite messaging yeah well and we even even in school, we had to tuck in our shirts. We had to do the, your, you know, your, you can't have anything above where your middle finger would be when you had your hand, your oh, arms down. Yeah. Because oh, you went to a Catholic dis- school? No, that was public school, but oh, wow. that would distract the boys. You couldn't have cleavage showing. You couldn't have a spaghetti strap. You couldn't have all of these things because that would distract the men oh my God. from learning. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so like they don't yes. they they can easily distract themselves, especially during puberty. I mean, probably and, nothing you can do. Like <laughs> at that time, it was fun. like Britney Spears. That's right. if you want to have a successful singing pop career, you have to have the sexuality of Britney Spears, but yet for learning and for everyday life. You have to be very conservative. You have to be very covered up. It's very, it was very confusing. And it's, but you know what is refreshing in a way? It's like, ah, we think we're so different, but we're really not. And that was like, one of the things it's like, yeah, it was sad because I'm like, oh my God. And I like, I thought I'm moving to a place that's gonna, you know, be so liberated. But then I'm like, oh, but at least there, there, that goes to show how how similar we are. We are like, we all have the same problems. And, you know, wherever you were raised, it's all the same thing. And I don't know what the, the cause of it is. Of course, like you can blame so many things like patriarchy. patriarchy. 
for religion. <laughs> I always blame religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like I, you know, at this point, like I don't even want to go there because. I don't care. I don't want to fix the problem. We're here today. And this is a universal problem that most women have to deal with. And it's so sad because one of the like uh, the statistics that I was looking up for my uh, one of my posts is sexual satisfaction amongst women. There is a statistic that said worldwide. And mind you, those are women that were comfortable enough to participate in such a study. More than 62 percent of women are not sexually satisfied. And of course, you've heard about the pleasure gap. I'm like, that's a problem. Because if you think of our biology, like the way we were designed, women are superior when it comes to our sexual organs. We have double the nerve endings in our genitals compared to men. Our sensations, and even like um, I was looking up the uh, other day, the, the duration of an orgasm for male versus female. I can't remember the like it's seconds for both, but ours was way longer. So it's like we are capable of experiencing a lot of pleasure that like men wouldn't even dream of. And yet we live in a world where uh, like statistically speaking, we're the least satisfied. And I think part of the reason why, because up until the 70s, all of the research that has ever been made on sexuality was focused on men. The participants in the studies were men and they just assumed that sexuality man oh okay females the same and it's like no we're wired <laughs> differently like our hormones are different our cycles we're cyclical you know like they go on a 24-hour cycle we go on a 24-hour cycle and a four-week cycle and a menstrual cycle and the moon and the stars and, and all of that it's like we're more complicated and our sexuality like deserves its own studies and if we've focused on men the entire time, of course, we're going to think of what pleases the man. And that's why we have problems such as, you know, the pleasure gap. But if like, like, if you assume if like, sex, like uh, today was designed by women, it would be completely different. Like the focus yeah, but- would be on foreplay and not penetration, for example, people would call foreplay sex and penetration, uh, like, you know, the aftermath. <laughs> what you do afterwards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's but- just, yeah. I would say that um, just thinking back to your blueprint, um, so then men would be, um, the stereotype of a man would be the sexuality blueprint, the sexual blueprint. That's what society wants us to believe. And they want us to believe that females are sensual. So if you are a man and you're not sexual, you're going to have so much shame because you're going to think, oh my God, there is a stripper who's hot, who's got a big ass and big tits and she's in the sexiest lingerie and I'm not getting turned on because, you know, she's touching me in all the right places. Something's wrong with me. When in reality, no, you're just not a sexual. Maybe you're energetic. So men who are not sexual go through a lot of suffering because they feel like something is wrong with them. And women who are sexual feel slut shame. Because it's like, oh my God, I'm such a slut. I want to do this. Oh my God, this is so bad. Why am I like this? Why can't I be like other women who want to be dined and wined and massaged and like, you know, told poetry to before getting, you know, in the sheets. So yeah, it's it's hard because society puts us in boxes and your sexual preferences are not related to your gender. Like it's just not. Like the love languages are not made, you know, for men and for women. It's just love languages. Sex is the same way. We're sort of socially molded to be a certain way. But the fact is, it doesn't really fit most of us. We're all kind of a little bit off that, those boxes. And again, that goes with that expectation and 
the community what we have to do to fit in. Exactly, exactly, which is one of the biggest reasons why a lot of people don't live authentically. And it's that, it's the pressure, external pressure. So any advice to people um, when if they're on the beginning of their journey, their sexuality journey or wellness journey, really yeah. sexuality journey? I'd say be curious and be open. That's like, those are the two things. It's curiosity and openness and like try things and try to understand yourself and in a judgment-free setting. So like, if you are not comfortable with like talking to people, then that's fine. Just you and yourself create the space to like, think about like, oh, what do I like? What do I, and judgment-free and like get rid of all the barriers and spend some time learning about your body. Like self-pleasure is a really good way to get to know yourself and to be able to communicate, you know, your needs and just practice. I'd say like, you know, be open, be curious, explore. And we change, right? Like, so today you might be a blueprint and in 10 years from now, you might be something else. And these are things that you can learn like languages, you can pick them up, right? So if let's say the way you practice sex today is through the sexual blueprint, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't practice it the kinky way or the energetic way. Just, yeah, like I, I feel like the two biggest things for me is just curiosity and openness. So we talked a lot about the similarities. Um, can you think of any actual real tangible differences? With what? Between the Middle East and um, the West. Uh, at the West? Yeah, of course. So uh, the biggest one is the LGBTQ rights, like right. the human rights. And uh, sexuality for women could be uh, used, like in some countries, it could cost women their lives because their honor killings are still practiced in, in, in some uh, Arabic countries. So of course, those are huge differences here. No one can get away with killing, you know, a family member for having a boyfriend. Whereas, unfortunately, in, in the Middle East, that's not the case. In certain places, that's the reality for a lot of women. So there is, of course, big differences when it comes to that. Um, another difference is, it's actually an, an interesting one. Um, because there is no sex education in the Middle East, there was one uh, study that I came across uh, that I think it was in Morocco or Egypt that basically um, looked at uh, sexually active uh, people between the ages of 17 and like 27. And more of them had STIs than those who knew what STIs were. So there is like this, because there is lack of education. And I know we said that it's not necessarily good to just focus on STIs, but because when you don't talk about that, people tend to do things because they don't know any better, right? So that's another problem is like the importance of protection, practicing safe sex is not covered uh, in most places. And it's not even talked about at home. I know you were saying they taught you how to put a condom on it. You know, like there's more sexuality, but in the Middle East, we don't even have that unfortunately and um another What's the access to condoms you know you can buy them at pharmacies okay there's everywhere everything is available but uh, and there's a lot of shame if you are going to buy it and you're not married like as a woman mm -hmm. even like you know as a woman like it's embarrassing so and because there's no talk about that not a lot of people practice safe sex um, or at least that's what the, the the few studies that i came across uh demonstrated what else, what are some of the, the differences is that um, uh, like uh, there in the Middle East, 
sexual, I guess maybe it's the same in, in the West, but like, it's okay, it's accepted for men to be sexual, like to have multiple partners to practice premarital sex. It's like, oh, boys will be boys. But the, the difference between the expectations of men and women, I think is bigger in the Middle East, whereas women are expected to uh, save uh, like their virginity until they're married. And uh, in certain places, not in like Arab countries, but more in Africa and like North Africa, which like in, covers Sudan and Egypt, which are Arab countries, uh, female uh, genital mutilation is still practiced, which is, I, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, yeah, so, so there are like quite a few differences, of course, I'm not trying That's to- That's specifically when they um, cut off the clitoris, right? Yes as a way to, you know, like they believe that it's dirty, but it's mainly to control them to make sure that they're not gonna dishonor the families by having premarital sex because they're not gonna have a desire for it. What were your initial um, like ideas of, of Middle Eastern women? Um, um, we or are, just like the ignorant ideas <laughs> that you, um, you know that of. People think that, that people- yeah. Yeah, like one of the common ones, it's like, oh, like we're not empowered. And I really, really hate that because empowerment is not like, because they look at, you know, women who are covered and they go like, oh, you know, it's not her choice. There's a lot more to empowerment, by the way, that you dress, right? Just because you're in a bikini doesn't make you more empowered than someone who is in a burqa. So it's like the misconceptions about like oppressed Middle Eastern women are oppressed. Yeah, like certain places we don't have rights like, men do when it comes to like divorce or like with certain practices but overall I think Middle Eastern women are pretty tough and they are resilient and they are empowered in different ways so that's one of the the, the biggest misconceptions is that you know we're shackled back home and that's not the case it's just that empowerment is different right and for each culture what that looks like can be different so uh, that's one of the biggest misconceptions and, and that um, you know we are not sexual as human beings because it's so like taboo and like, you know, we're clueless and that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, can you think of any other kinds of, I, I have to admit that I too have that um, idea about someone in the burqa. Yeah. Um, I, I do think of that as, and also because the ironic statistic that I am thinking of just like, I think it was in this is a very ignoramus moment but i think it was iran or something where um women in universities far ex exceeded men actually um yeah. which i thought was a really interesting statistic to come across especially when when um you think about because a lot of western countries actually do not want i think i'm thinking of france um people in uh headscarves or uh, yeah. Yeah, hijab. we call them to hijabs yeah. to even attend university you know there's like a ban on that so yeah. but ironically in iran um there are more women who actually go to university than men it's so funny that you say that because i went to canada for university and i was in engineering and and when I did my postgrad, I was literally the only female. And in the Middle East, in engineering school, there is more females than males. 
So that's like another thing where it's like, oh, you're a female engineer. Oh, you must be tough. It's like, no, it's not that, you know, in the Middle East, that's very common. But yeah, of course, in the workplace, it's slightly different. But and that's where like people don't understand that. It's like, no, yes, we are limited in certain ways, a thousand percent. And there are so many laws that go against women. But it, like, it's not the view that the West has of us. And another thing that I like want to highlight is like something about like culture and religion in the Middle East. Um, if you're a Muslim, like you have to like marry and divorce through Muslim courts. And uh, it's usually uh, geared towards the men, like the men have the authority. It's, it's much easier for a man to demand for a divorce. But actually one of the exceptions is if you're not sexually satisfied, you can go to a, a judge and if you say, I'm not sexually satisfied, they'll divorce you right there and then because sexual satisfaction within a marriage is really important for both parties. And that's something that the culture emphasizes on, which is positive considering all the you know, bad press that we get with other areas. But then of course, there's other limitations of like getting a divorce in the first place. It's more easy for a man to, to get that than a woman. But with certain things, yes, people are not aware of like the you know, the little uh, silver linings or like positive, you know, light at the end of the tunnel with certain things. Is divorce accepted if you're a divorcee uh, uh, in the dating scene? Yes, it is because okay. more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. Divorce rates are super high in the Middle East like, like they are everywhere in the world. But of course there is still the stigma. I mean, it's accepted because it's reality more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. But of course, there's still the stigma. Like, uh, I remember I was telling Eliana the other day when one of the things that I hated most about going through a divorce myself was the uh, terminal uh, cancer face that I used to get when I used to be like, oh, we're divorced. Like, it's like, oh, how's the hubby? It's like, oh, no, we separated. It's like, oh, <laughs> I used to get that look. I swear, it's like, I wouldn't get the same look. Like if I had told them, you know, I'm dying next month, that's, I would get the same reaction. And it was that, and that is like the annoying part. But uh, yeah, so like it's, there is still a, a bit of a stigma, but it's not that bad because it's very common these days. What about um, when you're talking about, we're talking about that, that huge, um, like you're saying more women in university doing engineering. Mm. Um, do you think that means that there's sort of a change in the demographics right now in the Middle East or, or is that always the case and it's just that in the workforce it doesn't reflect that? It, it, I think it's the difference it's in the workforce doesn't reflect that because we don't have a lot of like uh, like good like for example in Canada maternity leave is a year right so it's easy for you to become a mom and still have a career whereas in the middle in the Middle East once you go in the, in the field uh, in certain places like in Dubai maternity leave was 45 days and usually because we live in a society, the culture, uh, childbearing and taking care of children is predominantly done by women. That's how our culture is mainly. And that's why a lot of women have to make a choice between having a family and a career. And a lot of women still do it, but it's a tough decision to make because the system is not really supportive of encouraging women to have families and have a career. Do you know how many days them? Um, the U.S. and is the maternity leave for the U.S. No, I think it. I think it differs. Um, I don't have a federal know. mandate for them. Uh, I mean, I yeah, I don't. I don't know because some people will take like four days, 
and then four be days. Like, okay, that's it. Like I'm going back to work. Yeah, four well, days. Yeah, I mean, people will work seems themselves like to death here. Seems yeah. like a lot physically to go through. <laughs> to, yeah. yeah, to recover in four days. Yeah, yeah. but I mean that's not the norm. But I I do know that there are people out there who yeah it's have like, done that quick turnaround. That doesn't set up women for success. It's just like and the expectations keep getting worse, right? Like the other day I was talking to my friend and like my grandma or like the, let's say a hundred years ago, the role of a woman was, you know, like limited to being a wife, taking care of the house, raising the kids. And that was expected. And then the man's job was to like, you know, be the breadwinner, bring in the cash. Today, women are expected to be educated. Women are expected to contribute financially and they're still expected to, you know, have the babies take care of the babies, look pretty, lose the weight right after losing weight. So it's like all the expectations keep on piling up. Yeah, a little bit of it is gone, but I feel like we're more overwhelmed as women today than ever. Because we don't have boundaries. Yeah, I mean, that's more a boundary. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to think about because I do think that if you're financially contributing, um, whether or not it's conscious or subconscious, you have more power now in that dynamic, you know? Definitely, definitely. but the ex- I'm talking about expectations and that's why a lot of women do it still, but then they feel guilty. Oh, you know, I didn't do this for the kids today. It's like, yeah, you're making money. The guy's right. never going to feel bad for not spending the afternoon with the kid. Like, you know, I'm, I'm obviously being very stereotypical here. Right. I, I don't mean everything, but in general, there's a women feel so much guilt and the guilt comes from expectations and we get judged a lot more than men do when it comes to the way we live our lives. Yeah, I think certainly in in the US, I found that to be, and I guess in the Middle East, I guess parts of Europe, that's not really the case as much. Um, But yeah, definitely in the US, I found that. I found the whole, um, I don't know if it's just uh, depictions in the media, but a lot of uh, you can't, you can have it all thing, but it means like the woman is also supposed to have a, like a corporate job and make the cupcakes and do like from scratch. And oh my God, how dare you buy it from the supermarket? You know, like all sorts of ridiculous um, stereotypes. Um, yeah, that I just find so outdated, but. Well, but I also feel like, you know, 50 years ago, you could have one parent working and supporting the family where now it's, uh, it's ridiculous. So you have to have both parents earning an income. Yeah. At least in the U S I think that's like a very real thing there, especially when there's no social net at all. Um, If you don't have, yeah, you don't, you wouldn't even have healthcare, you know, (laughs) you didn't have to, um, if you didn't have a working, if you had, if you didn't have a job. So so let's all pity the Americans for it. No, <laughs> and pity the Arabs for looking up to the Americans as their role models. <laughs> it's like, no, no. Do you think that's true? Still? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, right? <laughs> I don't want to shit on America. I love America. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think that's true, though? Um, I mean, it's a world power. So everyone looks up to the state. I just, it's so funny because I've been hearing that, you know, and, and uh, I'm not sure if. I am just like out of touch now, but but I feel that um, 
that the 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 international view of the U.S. is completely different now, like from when I was growing up. There was like when I was a child, maybe there was a, a certain sense of American superpower um, that you might look up to Americans in certain ways. I mean, granted, my upbringing is quite different because <laughs> I have more maybe radical parents, but um, but I, I just think that the whole American dream has been completely dismantled at the moment. And we're just sort of watching a country in decline. And most of the world sees that, maybe not so much in America, but outside of it. But they see that now. You're talking about like Trump era, but that's mm. super recent, right? Like pre-Trump, people- I, the- I think- during Trump era, Americans in America started to go, wait a minute, <laughs> there's something up. But I feel like before that, during maybe Bush, uh, the rest of the world was like already kind of like something is going on with the US, you know? I mean, but I don't know. It's kind of interesting to think that the US might still have some sort of um, sway in the Middle East, some sort of soft power sway. Yeah, because a lot of people are anti-America in the Middle East because of like, you know, we, they're very different. The structure of the society, political, religious beliefs are, are different. And the wars. But, <laughs> and the wars, exactly. But the influence is there because those are the movies that we're exposed to, mm-hmm. like the products that we use. And there's a lot of subliminal messages that go through the people without them even realizing it, right? Like if you walk down any mall in the Middle East, everyone's like wearing like designer stuff and, you know, looking like the Kardashians. And, you know, mm-hmm. so that's like, because it's pop culture, right? Like you always wanna be like the people that you follow, whether it's social media or TV or the media or, you know? So yeah, there is a bit of like, of course we're talking about like the like the masses, not like individuals who know better, but like generally more often than not, that's the impression that people have. So again, another horrible communality between us all. Everyone likes the Kardashians. (laughs) 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 Yay. The Ignoramus's Guide to Surviving Humanity is available as a podcast on Spotify and Amazon Music. You can also like and subscribe to our videos on YouTube. And if you want to help us grow, then you can become a patron on Patreon. And that's it, right? I think that's That's it. it. Yeah. (laughs)